0: The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, um, how, how many of you have read the book of Ecclesiastes, and when you're done with it, you're like, I'm so exhausted. This book has been draining. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of at that place where I'm reading this book. It's like, man, this guy has been a downer, you know. Um, and everything that he tried to find meaning in has not worked. And then he speaks about his personal work. And then he speaks about death. And like you know, that's the great equalizer. Anyways, we're all dying, so what does it matter? And and uh, but but today it is kind of a turn um, where uh, something catches his attention that I think should hopefully catch our attention. If I said to you, "Hey, I just heard this guy playing a guitar. It's really pretty amazing." You know, you might not think, "Oh, okay. Well, so what?" You know, uh, you know. perhaps, Jason, if you said, Hey, man, I just heard this guy play the guitar. It's really pretty amazing. Oh, well, this guy knows music. I should maybe pay attention. If Stevie Ray Vaughan... No, well, I guess he couldn't anymore. Um, uh, if, the, if the Edge said, I just heard a guy play the guitar. He was amazing. Like, wow, that guy must be amazing. Correct? All right. What happens in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is this. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. Right? And I'm even going to concede that it's possible that the scripture might not be true. But I think it is. So if the scripture is true, he's the wisest man that's ever lived up until Jesus. Right? He says, I saw somebody who was really wise. And it was amazing. Like, wow, okay, that's, that's hopefully will catch our attention. But in chapter 9, verse 13, you can turn there if you have a Bible or you can put it up right now if you like. I'll read it in a moment. It's an obscure little story in this book. It's not even four or five verses and it's over. So we're going to take a look at this little story and and, and look at what wisdom is and overcoming obstacles and commitments and that kind of thing. So chapter 9 verse 13 says this. I saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it and a powerful king came against it. Surrounded it, built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor, but wise. And he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered this poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So for Solomon, I think maybe what caught his attention, and I'll, kind of, I'll give you the punchline, and then you know, I'll spend a half hour sort of repeating it, uh, is that Solomon had the opportunity of wisdom in the context of everything in his favor. So he notices a man who has, who's poor that has nothing in what Solomon has in excess okay Um, this guy he's an unnamed it's an unnamed city few people are in it and he's he's not even a small fish he's a poor man he's kind of a nobody in this nobody nothing town then he says but I saw an example of wisdom that really amazed me so and, and by the way he doesn't really tell us really what happened he just said oh he saved the city by his wisdom now, part of me is like, oh, what did you do? Did you talk the king out of it? Did you surprise attack commando this guy? I mean, what did, what did you do that was wise that you saved the city? And then why didn't the city remember you? Like, that was kind of messed up. <laughs> messed up, eh? Solomon was a man who was wise and never lost that wisdom. But yet, I think through the, through the series of these conversations, we realized that you could be wise in fact we've said wisdom is being able to (laughs) it's it's kind of a time traveling thing wisdom is being able to move into the future or the vantage point of the future look back at the present and say yeah I need to do this, that and the other to get to where I want to be you follow? sort of? so wisdom is being able to see the present more clearly from the vantage of the future but character is what makes you make those decisions that's right because we've all we've all have done the thing where we say I know this is wrong I know I shouldn't I I shouldn't you know know what I mean I shouldn't be driving to this motel with this girl but I'm doing it anyways I shouldn't be you follow we've all done that we've all done something where you know I should not do this you know it's no good will come from it right but you're in it and you're doing it Solomon was that guy he was a guy that made dumb decisions over and over again, marrying these women, putting up altars to strange gods, going further and further, dis- disconnecting from his faith if he had it. Or was he just, you know, forced onto this moment where he had to inherit his father's responsibilities? And, and, and what makes it worse is that he could think of it and, you know, and see it happen. You know, you know those conversations you have in your head where you know, like, uh, you know you're getting dark, and you almost have to talk yourself out of it. Because, man, I, I've been that guy where I've had to literally say sometimes, just stop, come on, just stop. I mean, you Because know, you're, you're almost observing your soul disintegrate in front of you, so you have to almost mentally pull back and have the conversation with yourself. And I know you think that sounds stupid, but that's what David does in the Psalms, doesn't he? Oh, my soul, why are you so depressed and so low? And he talks himself out of his moment and then starts connecting to God again. So, you know, I'm having a scriptural insanity moment, actually. At any rate, Solomon was never the guy that would have said, I didn't know what to do. I should have known better. He never was that guy. He just chose not to do better. So there is a process of utilizing wisdom and actually making it work for you. Otherwise, you're just stuck with knowing why things are wrong. Like, crystal clear why things are wrong. So I think part of it is just maybe even overcoming our sense of insignificance. Um, how did this guy sleep at night knowing that he had the answer to solve the city's problems he, where's the military where are the soldiers where's the, the mayor something of the city that, that should have been negotiating with the king Who, what happened what happened you know, what, where is everybody so this guy is what lying in bed one night and it dawns on him what he should do <clears throat> Is he walking on the street, noticing people panic? Are the people already dead? Are these people gone? And he just hears the the the, the mourning and their sorrows and cries, and it begins to dawn on him. You know, I I think I know how this would, how I could you know help. But he's a poor man in an insignificant city. Who should listen to him? Why would they listen to him? Where do you even start? Um, I, I think that sometimes when you get Well, how can I put this? I'm trying to figure out a way to put this about getting angry emails. So I'm thinking, okay. Um, No, I'll just tell you. Aren't you sick sometimes of Bible studies? Be honest. Because I get sick of delivering them sometimes. I won't won't lie to you. You know, because do you feel like sometimes I'm hearing the same thing over and over? When I get that email, you say the same thing over and over again. So I told Lilia, "Look, honey, that's, that's my wife." Uh, I, I, I said, "Well, maybe God's not not having any of the conversations with you. Well, you know, maybe possibly this is the one thing that you're not doing that God wants to get your attention. Maybe possibly it's you know the lack of integrity is not with me; it's with you. And maybe if you're not really doing the thing, it, that's why it seems like oh, I don't want to do this, or it sounds you know I want something new. Which sometimes I feel like, okay, so I'm not entertaining you." You know, I'm trying. I'm trying to be funny. You know, I just can't always do it. But you know, I, I sometimes I hear myself and I think, Am I living in those moments where I feel overwhelmed by the dreams that I think God's given me? See, I I love what I get to do, but I, I'm I'm hoping this is not my plateau. Not that I need public affirmation. I don't even need to be famous. I, I'm not ambitious for myself. What else did God have for me that I don't know about? I mean, leaving. Work at 52 to do this was not, that was not what I was thinking it, when I started my 50s. I'm glad. I believe it's what God wants. But I'm wondering what's the next thing because that was kind of a, you know, it's kind of a move for me. But I'm getting used to it. So I wonder where am I, where have I not heard God? That I have a sense of something that could be done. And now I'm not feeling overwhelmed by my insignificance. See, I think at times if you feel good about your life, you just don't have a dream big enough for your life. If you're not worried, staying up at night, thinking how you're going to get that thing done still, maybe it's just you don't really have something that significant to do. And I, I just, I'm just i pretty convinced that according to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that God's dreams for our lives are, as he says, bigger than what even we imagine. So if we are stepping into something that God perhaps has for us, wouldn't it be natural to feel a little bit unprepared, insignificant, not ready to do the thing that God has for us? I'm convinced the answer is yes. And I think... Up until those moments, we just tend to fake it. Um, you know, I used to have this running joke of Lily. Whenever some trouble would come up and something would happen, you know. it's like, well, can't we just tell God I feel like I have enough character. I'm done dealing with stuff, you know. I'm good. You know, I, I'm, I'm full. No more character for me. I'm, I'm you know, a functional human being. Any, you know, I, I'm, I'm done growing. So when I see this theme coming up again and again in the scriptures for me about going to places where you're unprepared, doing with what, without the resources you think you'd need, having a life that doesn't, that sort of puts you ill at ease. I think, okay, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm staying up late at night anymore like I used to. This morning I did. I woke up at 2, and I thought, you know, it's just going to be so cliché if I go get pancakes, take another photo of it, put it on Facebook. So I stayed home and muscled through, you know, coffee after coffee. Nothing would work. I couldn't get back to sleep. Um thinking about this actually and I know that whenever I sense that moment where I'm kind of just sort of, what am I doing? You know, I want to start a new project, start something new. So I met with a few guys yesterday, we're going to launch a new magazine because, you know, we have no money, no resources, no talent, but that doesn't stop us. So at any rate, a life that God has, you know, fully been engaged in is a life that's going to feel risky for you. Now, let me pull back for just a moment. I want to go a little higher altitude. If you think this is another big dream talk, that's not it at all. This is a talk of the inside stuff, not the circumstances outside of you. In fact, that's what I think is going to be scarier. Look, there are not many of us in this room, or maybe any of us in this room, that will have a global impact today. We can't pick up the phone and make something happen in Saudi Arabia. We're not going to talk to anyone this, today that's going to drop the gas. As much as we care about what's happening in, in the Gulf with this oil spill, there's, there's not a whole lot we can do about that right now. You know, I mean, having a strong, immediate, measurable, noticeable impact globally, nationally. So the circumstances in the universe around us, maybe we don't feel like we can control. But you can control the circumstances of the universe in your soul. Now you've heard me say, and this is why I've said it uh, over and over, that that the world is sort of morphed and fits you, and the world is what it is, your world is what it is, because of the world inside your soul. When this changes, this will change. If you start trying to make that change out here first, first of all, you're going to feel overwhelmed, underprepared, ill-equipped, da-da-da-da, because, you know, it's this, this huge, significant thing, where God maybe is asking to make the biggest changes is right here. Look, if if the scriptures are true, I believe they are, we have a commitment from God, a promise from Him that says, hey, the power that I exercise in reanimating the corpse of my son, the power that I've done to to create this universe, I I will be that person residing inside of you. And the kingdom of God will be inside of you. And so this person, who might have this poor man in an insignificant town, that was, might have felt ill prepared, and who's going to listen to my ideas anyways? Was the guy for the moment to make a huge difference in saving this town. And Solomon was intrigued by the fact that wisdom worked even without resources. So maybe the most significant thing that you do is you touch the life of somebody that nobody sees. Or you have an impact on your kids that no one really notices, and your kids don 't appreciate till they 're adults, because nothing is too small that God can 't make something big of it by his effect in your life through that moment. so the cubicle where you work where it 's boring, the you know the same person you see at the seven eleven where you get your coffee I mean, you, you just don 't know the effect of a life that 's committed to God. Utilizing wisdom, utilizing God's power, and where it might go, and where you might not even see the end of it. I remember, um, you know, feeling like that insignificant person. Isn't sometimes the most awful when you look back at your life? The most intensely awful moments are is junior high school, right? Now, I, I was amazed I got through it without any kind of acne or any kind of thing like that. No stabbings. I got that out of my system in elementary school. Um, mistakes were made. Hey, I'm not going to live in the past. And, um, and so I go into junior high school thinking, okay, it's a new group of people that don't know me. I can sort of reinvent myself, be somebody else, you know. But I still was stuttering. Still was not athletically gifted. No surprise there. Um, yeah, you know, I just uh, really wanting. If my, I remember my goal in junior high school was to not be noticed. You follow, right? Just uh, don't want to stand out, good or bad. Just I don't want to be that guy that gets noticed. And I recall that I had an English teacher, Mr. Branscom. He was an Okie. He was from Oklahoma. There you go. Amen. That's right, brother. Preach it. So, and I will. Okay's I will. <laughs> Okie's unite. All two of you. So. um <laughs> Mr. Branscombe was this big, big man. I, I, he was a giant. I, you know, He must have been like 6'5", and he had everything else to go with him. He's big. But I gave this guy so much. I don't know, I don't know why. I just My life was not complete unless I made him upset. And, uh, and I would tease him about his shirt being wrinkled or that his hair being off. Just And the poor man was dying his hair. And I felt it was my responsibility to point that out. And, and uh, uh, but it was just him and I. It was never something in public in the classroom because I wasn't that dumb. Where I figured an English teacher, he's a walking dictionary and gifted and read. He could probably chop me up verbally in front of everybody. The funny thing is he never did. He'd be in good humor about it. And he but he was a guy. Uh, I remember he uh, he encouraged me to do the oral book reports, oral stories. I thought all right. You know when you have those moments where you know you're going to be humiliated publicly? You're just, you're just like you're walking to the gallows. It's like the Green Mile. You know, you know you're going to die. So you're just, all right, you know, you're going peacefully, you know. I remember that first time, and I, and, and, uh, it, I stuttered so badly, uh, one-on-one conversations, but I don't know what happened. I got in front of this group of students, and everything went clear. And my thoughts didn't get scrambled like they do here on Sundays, and I was able to speak about stuttering and I remember looking at Mr. Branscombe so excited. Now, the reason I remember the story is that I, I still gave this guy a hard time. But in my yearbook, he wrote something that I, to this day, I still remember. Octavio. Oh, he had Parkin, uh, Parkinson's. And I made fun of that, too. Like I, in my defense, I was in junior high. So in his shaky hand script, he wrote Octavio the spirit of an untrained racehorse, the day will come when you be first. I lived on that for years. He would not let me shrink back. He wouldn't let me become invisible. He wouldn't let me believe that I was insignificant. And I I just was hoping to be unnoticed. And I learned from him that maybe I have the gift of being able to tell the story. And so here I am at 52. So when, the, when I think about this fellow in that town, I think, wow, you know, this is probably the guy that was wanting to shrink back and God says, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let you. He pushes, he pulls, he cajoles. And sometimes things just happen where to force the best out of us, the worst has to happen. Have you noticed? But I also realize that people that are wise uh, operate with an overwhelming commitment to a principle Against overwhelming circumstances. See, as I mentioned before, you know, where is the, where where were the guards? Why was he the only guy left that 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 had an idea? So there's an evil, rotten king out there, building the siege works. Which you know, if you saw Lord of the Rings or Braveheart, you know about the ramps and ladders and trying to get through the wall, because the wall was a protection for the city. And I'm, I'm pretty sure in this room that some of you are facing circumstances that seem overwhelming. They, they're, they're financial. Some of you are just, it's just emotional. You know, you struggle with stuff and you have to, you know, you, it's an intentional thing to keep moving through that. Your jobs are changing. You're, you're, you're thinking of whether I should move, leave the house that I have that I'm upside down in by several hundred thousand dollars. Some of you are processing an illness or it, stuff has come upon you. And, and all those uh, ideas and dreams you once had of what matters and what you wanted to do for God seem almost silly in comparison. Because, you know, this is serious stuff. This is just God stuff. Right? Now, I'm going to suggest to you that whenever you have something good that you wish to do and a circumstance stops you, that was the level of your commitment until something hard happened. You can measure how far, or how committed you are by what stops you from getting it done. You know, when you think about um, you know, the stories of the mom who lifts the car to get her child out, that's commitment, right? Nothing's going to stop her from taking care of that kid. And so it is with many people that they, if, if they have a commitment and a goal from God, nothing will stop them to get it done without the resources, without the talent, without the sense of significance. I know this is what God wants me to do. And there's a certain energy that comes from being dialed into what God has you to do that doesn't come until you start to do it. Look, if you're waiting to feel prepared to do what you think God has clearly given you to do, you know, good luck. If, if you are comfortable with your life, like you feel like, oh, I know what I'm doing, I'm confident, you just haven't taken on something that's big enough for your life to frighten you. Now, I'm not saying that we should all live in this moment of such high adrenaline that we just can't sleep, but once in a while we ought to have a project that seems daunting that's beyond just our talent. So we have to rely on and connect to a supernatural source of energy. The God that lives inside of us. Yeah, we have often very little control over what we do. I mean, you know, what happens around us. We, We just have every bit of control over how we manage our souls. And what you decide to plug into and what you decide to affect you. You know, I, I have a, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have a hero in my life. Um, yeah, I think about this kid. I mean, I don't know. Mexican kid growing up in East Los Angeles of Orange County or in Santa Ana. Some parts of it were kind of rough. Uh, single teenage mom. Uh, father in and out of prison. Father a serious heroin addict. Um, you know, not doing well in school. Muscles through. Um, and makes decisions that were the exact opposite of what his every condition should have happened in his life, right? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like it's going to be a happy, good ending. There was nothing about what you would have predicted had you seen this person's life as a small boy that would say, oh, this guy's got opportunities and prospects. But he muscles through college, goes into law enforcement, finishes grad school, becomes a college professor. So when I look at David Gonzalez, I think, that guy's my hero. He had an overwhelming commitment to do what's right against overwhelming circumstances. That's why I think he's such a remarkable man. And you've heard me say, I'm a better thinker when I'm around him. And I feel a sense of, you know, really honor when he says, hey, you're my friend. That's what this guy was. He had an overwhelming commitment, I'm going to save this town. I think God's giving me the wisdom to do so, and he just does it. But this what's also strange to me about this moment is that um, he's like Winston Churchill. How many of you know his story? I mean, you know that he's the guy. Never, never, right? Give up. We'll fight in the trenches. You know, we'll fight in the alleys. He was really kind of a nobody. Had not done too well in the military. He was not a shining example. He was not on the career path of being prime minister. Uh, England is facing a hellish bombing from the German army. Luftwaffe. They're about to be invaded, overwhelmed. Winston Churchill steps into the moment, and it is this man that really does change the course of World War II. He rallies the English peoples to hang in when they were being pummeled and not give up. Acknowledged as the hero of England, working with our president at the time, Stalin, mistakes were made, and carving out a new future for Europe. Europe. Runs for election in 1945. Loses. That had to be a personal blow. But. All of us are are experiencing. You might. I would say. The benefit of that man's life. Because of what. How he affected history. He was the guy for a moment. And then. uh, uh, An effect and a legacy. That he never even lived to see. Now part of me wants to be that guy that's willing to not be noticed doing something well but there's an awful dark side of me that wants the recognition, you know, like most of you as well I'm saying most of you because I don't want to be alone in this um, but I, I tend to think that, that if I'm sensing and I, I, if I'm sensing that I'm experiencing God's pleasure I don't need the public recognition his private pleasure is enough so, overwhelming circumstances, when they butt up against an overwhelming commitment to what we're doing right, whatever wins is what's ever the strongest. The circumstance or your commitment. Your, your, you know, listen, sometimes what changes is not the circumstances, it's just your resolve. Um, yes, I know sometimes doing the right thing over and over is hard. But, I mean, let's be honest, if it was easy, everybody would do it. The um, the moments of pain, the moments of uncertainty, the moments of circumstances that seem to be suffocating and difficult and hard, might be just the very thing that God is allowing to occur or using to to bring out the best in you and force out the changes He's made in you. Have you ever been surprised when you someone cuts you off and you don't flip them off? Like, oh my gosh, I didn't flip that person off. <laughs> See, all this this is the laughter familiarity right here. That's what that is. Or, you know, those things like when you, something happens and you weren't freaked out, you go, oh man, that's, that's not good news. Okay, we'll have to deal with it. Then you realize, oh my gosh, I didn't freak out. I, you know, a year ago I would have been a mess. And, you're, and what happens is that you're surprised that God's changed you on the inside. You just didn't have an opportunity for it to see it. See, this is what happens in, sometimes in difficult circumstances. You get to see the changes that God has been doing and making all along. You get to see what's been happening... Invisibly, he might 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 say, "You get to show what God has done." Hey, let me close with a couple of quick thoughts. If you've ever had a moment where you felt powerless, um, uh, you know you can probably really connect with this guy in this story because he had none of what Solomon had in excess. And I think the question I guess we we have to really kind of get to is this: Is God's wisdom enough? Do I really believe that? Or do I actually think that, hey, uh, I, I have an ideal of what I think God wants me to do. And, and maybe it's a big thing. Maybe it's just a small thing. But you're saying, uh, you know, but I can't do it for this reason, that reason, this reason, this reason. If, if only these things were in place, I would do this. But these things are in place, so I can't do this. You follow? You have a list of why you can't be the person God asked you to be. Or you can't fulfill what perhaps God wants you to do. What you sense. Or even it's just a good thing that you wish to do. And you say, I, I, here's why I can't do it. Um... Yeah, is it possible that maybe the lack of resources would cause us to dig deep into the hidden resources of God? I mean, is, that, is that possible? I mean, is God tied into only what our checkbooks are or our opportunities are? I was talking to the fellows as we're thinking about this magazine that we're you know, moving forward with. I said, hey, you know, here's, here's the good news. Here's, here's the good news. Money is no object, seriously, money is no object. We have no money for this, none whatsoever. So we have to hire an editor, a photographer, you know a graphic artist, a creative director we've got to think about distribution you know and all you know we have business planning we 're going through the ideas of what we 're going to write about and talk about and stuff and, and I said, but isn't this great that we have no money? Because if we had a $10,000, we'd have only a $10,000 dream. Now, the dream could be anything because we money's no object, you know? Isn't this great, you know? Oh, by the way, the editor-in-chief job is already taken. And uh, so, at any rate, um, apparently in the meeting, I got nicknamed uh, Miranda Priestley. So, um, if, product, the ever product? Okay, the point is that um, <coughs> Look, I kind of get the tension of feeling inadequate. I get the tension of feeling insignificant. And I get the tension of feeling that you're not prepared for a thing that God may have you to do. But that it could very well be the reason that God is using to bring out the best in us and the best in you. That God's wisdom is enough, His resources are more than sufficient. And his dream will take you places that you never even imagined possible. And I think that's the most significant lesson from this story. Let me, let me close in a word of prayer for you, with you guys and then we have a, some announcements from, from Mrs. McCurlin. Father, what I pray on this uh, Mother's Day, moms that have uh, come here this morning in this service, is that you help us to appreciate uh, the benefit of just doing the right thing even when it doesn't seem to make sense, when uh, we don't feel prepared to do it. Um, I think that, that at times we would feel overwhelmed and not prepared and not having sufficient resources to live out the work that you've already planned ahead for us to do. To do. And I'm thankful that our faith is not dependent on our commitments and promises to you it's contention on the promises and commitments you made to us you promise never to leave us you promise never to get tired of us that you will lead us and guide us right into truth by your Holy Spirit that you'll reside in us you'll speak to us and you are actually the energy that even gives us the motivation and the desire to live out the life that you want for us so thank you for being a God that so restores our lives completely. brings sanity, sobriety, health, and connection to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. In your Son's name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.